You're listening to Accelerate Churches Podcast, located in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Thank you for joining us. We pray you leave inspired, and this message helps you build your faith. We hope you enjoy this word from our lead pastor, Ernest Grant II. It's so grateful today. Well, again, my name is Pastor Ernest Grant. I had the privilege of serving as a lead pastor of this 13-week-old baby called Accelerate Church. Awesome, awesome. You know, one of our things is we want to help people know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. Um, And that's what we're committed to. And we're committed to creating warm and life-giving environments where you can belong before you believe while you figure everything out. So I don't know where you're at on the spiritual pendulum today. Uh, Maybe you're agnostic or atheist. Maybe you're just trying to figure this thing out. But I want to let you know that we are the type of church that wants to come alongside you because you can belong before you believe while you figure all of this Jesus stuff out. Amen. And so we're just so thankful that you're here. If this is your first time here, welcome to the cookout. You here? You didn't even have to bring anything. Come on, well, do us a favor and text ACTV to 94,000. That's right, ACTV to 94,000. And we want to encourage you to fill out our connection card. Our connection card, we're not going to spam you, I promise. Uh, but our connection card is just a way where we can get acquainted to you to hear more about your story and the unique things that are happening in your life. Uh, so if you fill that out, we're not only um, do we not want anything for you, but we actually have something for you. Uh, so you can go to our next step station right in the back. I can't see it because the lights are a little bright, but praise God for them. Uh, they're right in the back and you can, we have, I think it's a, a five gift to Starbucks, is it? Is it Starbucks now? Jocelyn, like, yeah, it's Starbucks. I went down there three times. Got me. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. Just joking. If you've been back there, that's our gift to you. But anyway, we love you. We're so, so very appreciative that you're here today. Um, And I'm really excited because I think we're starting a very, very pivotal sermon series called Emotionally Healthy Holiday. Amen, somebody. Um, I know that this is a tough time of year for many of us. Um, I wanted to do Advent, like we were praying about it and thinking about doing Advent, but we think that this is more of an appropriate season uh, to talk about depression and anxiety because we know that that's what a lot of people struggle with on a regular basis. And so I want you to know that if you're struggling with that today, we're so happy you're here. Uh, I want you to know that you have a church that is praying about your mental health. You have a church that's not going to stigmatize you for struggling with any mental illness. In fact, we want to be the type of church that helps create a place of wholeness so that you can experience the joy of the Lord while you fight through it. So I'm just saying, while you fight through your emotional situation, we want to lock arms with you and believe that God is going to help bring you to a place of wholeness and healing. Amen, somebody. So do me a favor. Um, why don't you just bow your heads and let's pray. Oh, before we pray, let me tell you about this. Well, listen, we are excited also uh, because we're going to have our first candlelit Christmas service. Woo! It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, we're, we've got a lot. Now, we need to pivot a little bit. We were going to meet on Christmas Eve. We were hoping to do that. Um, but we decided that it would be best in the interest of our team to just have a big Sunday on December 19th. And so I want to encourage you to share the content on social media. It's going to be a very accelerate Christmas. Amen, somebody. And so it's going to be a bunch of fun. And so, listen, it's important that you invite people to these events because um, what we believe is that environments like this are where people can come to know God. There's a bunch of areas where you can come, come to know God. You can meet him in the scriptures. You can see how he's written his name all throughout creation. But in this church, one of the ways we want to introduce people to God that we serve is in the context of the local congregational gathering. So invite your friends. Invite your family. It's going to be cool. We're going to have, a, I think, a little choir, a little kitty choir up here singing Go. 
motel it on the mountain. I can't wait for it. I'm going to help them out. I'm going to be doing a little hand signals and all of that stuff. And so let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your love towards us. Uh, thank you, God, for um, your care and your consideration and just all the things that you do to love us, God. Um, Father, I pray that this sermon would fall on fertile soil. Lord, I know that it's people here that are struggling deeply with their emotional health in this season. Lord, that um, they are exhausted and worn out and physically just beat up by all this blood. I pray that you would encourage their souls, remind them of the deep love that you have for them. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And if you grew up in church and you agree with that, why don't you say amen? Amen. Amen. Well, listen, we're embarking on what many consider the most wonderful time of the year. Cue the Mariah Carey All I Want for Christmas song that you're going to hear over and over again. And cue uh, the, uh, the Christmas story that's going to be playing on TBS nonstop all day on Christmas Eve and Christmas morning. But many of us are looking forward to the holiday parties. We're looking forward to uh, the, the, the tree lightings, the giving and receiving of gifts, sitting with Santa and taking pictures, nativity scenes, and a myriad of other things. Some of us, Christmas is not necessarily our thing, so we're really, really looking for 2022. Is that what that the year is going to happen? 2022. It all seems like a blur since COVID. Amen, somebody. It, all, it feels like we're in the same year, if, if you will. And so, but some of us are really, really looking to 2022 because it really represents a, a new beginning. You're looking forward to seeing the ball drop and filling your flutes with champagne and eating cheese and wines with your friends as you bring in the new year. And whereas this is, for some of us, a season of joy that we gleefully anticipate, for others of us, this is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's actually the most depressing time of the year. Because you've made it through Thanksgiving with a smile on your face. Shout out for eating those, to eating those leftovers for like three days later. If you're eating them still, you need to get rid of them. I just want to let you know. Unless it's the fried turkey, you probably froze it. And then you can bring it out later. But if it's the stuffing, the mac and cheese, go ahead and let that go. <coughs> let, let that go. And so you made it through Thanksgiving with a smile on your face. But now that we're about to enter into the double header of Christmas and New Year's, some of us are just really feeling the stress and strain of the holiday. And it's for a few reasons. Number one, you know that you're about to spend more money in this holiday than you like to spend. Amen, somebody. Some of us are going, let's be honest, some of us are going to go in debt in this season that it's going to take us until February, right around Valentine's Day, to get out of. Okay, we don't have to say amen. You can say ouch, it's okay. I'm all right with that. Um, <clears throat> you, feel, you feel the stress and strain because you're obligated to attend family gatherings and you have all these travel plans. That's going to intensify. But on top of that, it's a season that dredges up a sense of loneliness and isolation. And so what some of us will do in order to cope with the loneliness, isolation of this season is we will just try to overwork ourselves. We will overwork until the point of exhaustion and then wonder why when the new year comes, we don't have the energy to seize the opportunities that God has put before us. And so the, this season is very tough because it's like throwing gasoline on the fire of our emotional health that we've been struggling with already. So this is not a season of glee, but rather it's a season of gloom. And if that's you today, if you're struggling with the gloom of the holiday season, I want to let you know again that we're just so happy you're here. I'll take that as an amen, Jonas. Love you, boy. Uh, we're just, we just know that, um, that like some of us struggle with it, but I'm happy you're here. And, and what I want to promise you is that two things are not going to happen. You will not be stigmatized in this sermon series because you're battling with mental health. 
right? You will not. This is a place that's going to be warm, welcoming, and inviting. And if you're struggling with that today, we want to help you. We've got a team of counselors, and we've got a team of people that are well acquainted with the mental health struggle and want to be able to bless you. Secondly, this is not going to be a time where we are going to give you a step-by-step, here's what you need to do to get out of depression, right? I know that you've seen enough of that on Dr. Phil, and you've read enough of that on WebMD. What we're looking to do in this series is is to help nurture you and be able to investigate why these things are happening in your life. In other words, we're not just trying to look for the the physiological causes, but some of the the spiritual causes that lead people to depression. Are y'all with me today, church? Y'all all right with that? Okay. All right. So here we go. So here we go. Let's let's jump into our passage this morning. Um, I'm in Psalm 42. Psalm 42. I'm going to start at the superscript and then we're going to work our way down. And I want to park in verse five. This is what it says for the choir master, choir director, a masculine of the sons of Korah. Listen to this language. As the deer longs for the flowing stream. So I long for you, God. I thirst for God, the living God. Where can I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While all day long, people say to me, where is your God? I remember this as I pour out my heart and how I walked with many, leading the festive procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Here's where I want to park. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him, my Savior and my God. Therein ends the reading of God's word. Um, if you ask somebody what depression feels like, what do you think they would say? And it just so happens that a New York best-selling author actually noticed that there's a hashtag for this. It's called depression feels like. And here's what some people say. They said, it's like you've lost something, but you have no clue where you've laid it. It's a terrible sinking sensation. It's a miserable, it's it's missing my friends, but not having enough energy to interact with them. Get this one. It's like walking around in a big bubble of tar. One person even said depression is like drowning, but every person around you is breathing. It's really difficult. And I'm sure that if Twitter existed and he had a Twitter account, that the author of this passage would echo those sentiments. Now get this, this is a, what we can describe as a psalm. A psalm is a congregational song that would have been sung by an ancient, ancient, uh, ancient country called Israel. And this psalm is one of the most ominous and most gothic passages in all the Bible. It's what theologian John Mark Comer, the author of Live No Lie, says is one of the most honest, raw, and bare-knuckle prayers in all the scripture. And it reads like a journal entry of someone who has faith in God and believes in the tenets of the gospel, but yet is battling emotional anguish and strain. And what that suggests is that you can be a mature Christian, somebody that loves Jesus, reads their Bible, fast and pray diligently, and you can still struggle with your emotional health. That's what he's saying. And this author, his name is David. David is the second king of the United Israel, one of the most beloved, one of the most beloved figures in all the Bible. And, and look what it says in the subscript. It says, for the choir director, a masculine for the sons of Korah. 
So let me just give you a little context here. The sons of Korah were a group of priests in charge of congregational singing. There's there's no real modern equivalent to this, but it would be kind of like the praise team that was up here. They were like priests that were ushering people into the presence of God. And they're in charge of congregational singing. And on my skill, we're not really sure what that means, but we know that it comes from a word that means to instruct someone. And so what this is, is this is a congregational hymn in which the people of God are singing about depression and anxiety. Do y'all get that today, church? In other words, I know that that doesn't really fit into our modern spirituality because we have so many celebrative songs. We have so many songs that talk about hope and joy and there's positivity at the end. But what happens when you're going through a tough time and you don't see the light at the end of the tunnel? And so these psalms were called songs of lamentation. Because let me just tell you something. It's hard to sing how great your God is when you're going through emotional toil, emotional turmoil. It's, it's, It's very difficult to sing of the goodness and riches of God when your family is in disarray. And because God knew this and he knew that we had we had a multiplicity of emotions, he created a type of song called a lamentation so that we can thoughtfully pour out our hearts to God with the belief that he's going to sit with me in my pain. See, here's the thing about God is a lot of you have been praying that God change your circumstance, but God is less concerned with changing your circumstance and more concerned with changing you, changing you. Because when you know that God is for you, when you know the power of the gospel and you think about how this Aramaic, brown skin, Palestinian savior left heaven to come down into earth to endure the shame and pain on your or my behalf, that just gives you some type of confidence. You just say, God is for me. Who can be against me? If Jesus can cause the wind and the waves to obey him, defeat death, disarm the principalities and powers, disarm Satan and defeat a myriad of his demonic army, how much more can I trust in him to help me with my emotional health? So I just want somebody to know that Jesus is for you. I just want you to know that. So this was an ancient song that was sung about depression and anxiety. And look what David says in the first verse. He says, as the deer pants for the streams, the flowing streams, so my soul longs after you. God, I thirst. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come appear before him? Now, can we just be honest? Um, If you've ever read that verse, you've probably understood it in a very sanitized way. Because you probably thought about it as this little beautiful brown doe. Oh, isn't he cute? With a little bushy tail that puts his, his little head down into the crystal clear streams and he takes a sip from the water. Oh, while the, while the birds chirp and the butterflies just float blissfully in the sky. That's what a lot of us think. That's not what this passage is communicating. This language that he's using is very, very violent language. This word pant is used only one other time in the Old Testament, and it was mentioned in the book of Joel when the animals were crying out in desperation because the riverbeds were drying up and the fields in which they consumed food was fire-consumed. So what I'm communicating is this is not some pretty poetic language. This is a man that loves God that's crying out in the anguish and depths of his pain. This is what one author Describes as the staggering desperation of an, of an animal that's unable to find something to drink. 
And I know that thinking about this idea of us not being able to drink is something that's lost on us because as soon as we turn the sink on, water flows. Uh, we don't even use that water to drink. We just use that to wash with. We have a whole nother stash, a bottle underneath the counter of Deer, of Deer Park that we go to to drink the water. But, but when you don't drink water, what happens is you start to hallucinate. You start to stagger. You lose energy, and eventually you're going to experience death. So what he's saying is, God, I'm having some or some physiological ramifications from not being in your presence and not hearing your voice. You know what that's called, family? Depression. Emotional and mental anguish. He's saying, I'm going through it. And then he says this, third verse, he says, my tears have been my food day and night. While, the, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Let me just tell you, this is not hyperbolic language. You can leave it up there for a second. When he says my food has been my, my tears have been my food day and night, what he's saying is that I am not eating. I'm withering away because I either don't have the energy to eat or my situation is so bad that I don't want the food to sustain me while I go through it. Are y'all hearing me, church? He's saying that my tears have been my food. I've cried until my tear ducts don't have any more liquid to give. I've cried so bad that my eyes are bloodshot red. And what he's talking about is the emotional and the physical ramifications of being depressed. And on top of that, look what it says. He's got critics that have said, where is your God? I don't know where this verse falls at chronologically in all the verses, but I can imagine that they was like, weren't you the person that just wrote Psalm 23 about how the Lord is your shepherd and how you shall not want? But here you find yourself in a situation where the God that you say you serve is not coming in and swiftly delivering you. He's got critics. So not only is he feeling the physical ramifications and the physiological response to his depression. But then he's got friends and people in his life that are criticizing him while he goes through it. Hmm. It's a tough situation. But this is what, for many, this is what depression looks like. It, it's tough. So before we move on, let me just, can I pause for a second? Let's, let's pause. Because what we said was hard. Let's pause for a second. And let's define what exactly we mean by depression and anxiety. Because what's happening is, depending on your background, depending on your language, depending on your upbringing, your context, it can mean different things. So, so what I'd like to suggest for a second is kind of tune in with me and listen to these definitions. Let's start with anxiety. Is that okay? Anxiety, here it is, is a noun, shout out to that, a feeling of worry, nervousness, and unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. Uh, second, second one is a nervous disorder characterized by a state of excessive uneasiness and apprehension, typically with compulsive behavior and or panic attacks. Now, let's talk about anxiety for a second. And anxiety is really warped fear. Right. Like you have a, there's a lot of what we call bad feelings or tough feelings. And we would consider fear one of them. But I just want to let somebody know uh, fear is extremely helpful. You need to know that. Um, if you are getting chased by a rabid dog, uh, you probably should run, uh, but, you, but at minimum, you should be fearful. And so what happens with fear, anxiety becomes what it is when fear becomes perverted and warped. 
and it becomes long lasting and drawn out. Quoting John Mark Comer again, he said, it's when fear takes over your mind and moves from something tangible to hypothetical. In other words, in other words, some of us don't have post-traumatic stress disorder. We have pre-traumatic stress disorder because we're so worried about the outcomes of life and what's going to happen next that we literally drive ourselves to the place where we dredge up our own anxiety. You, you, are y'all hearing me today, church? So, so what, what I'm saying is like, like, like this is a person or anxiety is when you are suffocated with all the what ifs in life. What if I don't find a new job? What if my babies don't come to meet Jesus? What if my, my child does not overcome their learning disability? What if I don't, uh, what if I'm struggling in my home? What if this marriage doesn't turn around? What happens with anxiety is you have fear about those things and then it's drawn out for a long period of time. And instead of, and, instead of um, 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 praying and lamenting, you spend more time worrying about those things. Y'all hear me today, church, trying to help somebody. So anxiety is something that can be very crippling to the mind. Let's talk about depression. Depression is this. It's severe despondency. I think that's the word. Dejection typically felt over a period of time and accompanied by feelings of hopelessness and inadequacy. Again, another helpful feeling that you should have from time to time is sorrow, grief, and lament. Those are very, very, those are very, very helpful things. But when sorrow, grief, and lament stretch over long periods of time, that's when you begin to experience depression, right? And so as one commentator notes, depression is when sorrow becomes an inescapable way of life. It's when it becomes your lot in life. You wake up sad, at, you wake up sad, you eat your lunch sad, you go throughout your day sad, and no matter what you try to do, you simply cannot get yourself out of a bad mood. It's when every waking hour things get worse and worse. And what happens is depression and anxiety are in like this codependent symbiotic relationship because one is trying to attack your mind and the other is trying to attack the deep recesses of your soul. Wow. Are y'all hearing me today, church? Because we quiet. It's all good. I'm with that. Just, you know, just snap from time to time. I know you're there. And so, and so what David is experiencing is a combination of both anxiety and depression. He's been in this situation, like I'll tell you about in a second, where, where he's like, God, when are you going to show up and do something? He's getting apprehensive. His fear is being materialized. And then he's, having, then he's having anxiety because of God's despondency. He doesn't know how this is all going to turn out. And let me just tell you, when you're always worried about manipulating the outcomes, it will always lead to anxiety. Let me just tell somebody, you cannot manipulate the outcomes in life. And even if you could, even if you could, sometimes we would do them in a way that are not, are, are not best for our emotional mental health. And so what David is saying here is that these dark clouds of anxiety and depression are floating over him and he's not sure what to do about it. Now, now get this, get this real quick. This is important. Now, so David, David is going through what some scholars believe is the insurrection of Absalom. Absalom was his son, his real handsome son that wanted to take over the kingship from his father, David. And so he plotted a coup to begin to take it over. And rather than sitting there and fighting, David decided that he was going to flee the kingdom. 
And so in a similar, in a situation very similar to what he dealt with his predecessor Saul, he's leaving the kingdom and he's hide, excuse me, he's hiding from cave to cave. He's fearing for his life. He's nervous and he's apprehensive and he's worried about all this going on. So I don't know if you've ever been fearful before, but um, when, you're, when you're fearful, it's always a place that you wish you could go back to. You think of some fond memory. Listen to David's fond memory. He says, I remember, verse 4, as I pour out, as I pour out how he walked with many, leading the festive procession in the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. Get this, church. This is what I want you to get. During the time that he was battling depression and fleeing for his life, what he wanted to do more than anything else was get to church. Are y'all with me? In other words, he wanted to get to church. That's where he's talking about the festive processions. He wanted to get in there and hear the Torah, which is the first five books of the Bible, read and expounded on. He wanted to lift up his voice. He wanted to lift up his voice with the congregation and and sing joyfully to God. And he hungers to be a part of the community of people that worship whom we call Yahweh. That's what he wanted. David's vision of the corporate gathering is so much more robust than many of our, our vision of the church. Because he saw the corporate gathering as a place that his soul could be refreshed, not a chore that he did out of guilt because he would feel bad if he didn't go. Wow. Are y'all with me? Let me just parenthetically say, and I, and I love y'all and I'm so glad you're here. And if, you're, if this is your new first time here, welcome to the cookout. We're, so, we're just so glad that you're here. If you don't know Jesus today, well, welcome to the cookout. We're so happy that you're here. Uh, just give me three minutes, okay? I'm just going to fuss with some Christians real quick, if that's all right with you. Uh, just I need three minutes. Like, David believed that the, that the corporate gathering could refresh his soul to such, a, to such a place that it would bring him out of the depths of what he was experiencing. That's what he believed. He's like, if I could just hear the Bible read a little bit, if I could hear them read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, if I could just hear the preacher just get up there and use a little bit of of illustrations and talk about the beauty of this coming Messiah, if I can just hear them saying, uh, reading through Psalm 100 and lifting up the song, I am sure that this would lift me from the emotional pit that I'm in right now. David believed that the church of God could do something that many of us fail to think it can do. Now, I'm not correlating depression and anxiety with church attendance. Okay? Let, me just, let me just say that. Let me just say that, okay? Like, I get it. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is sometimes we overlook the importance of gathering on a Sunday morning. Like, like, you need to hear the gospel preached. You need a pastor that's praying for you. You need to hear how Jesus, again, this Aramaic, brown-skinned person left heaven and he was fully God and fully man and God enough to pay your debt but man enough to owe your debt. You need to hear about that. You need to hear about how you and I are ruthlessly selfish and live for ourselves and try to clean up our life with the same putrid, sinful heart that made it a mess in the first place. You need to hear about those things. You need to hear about depression and how to manage your money and how you need to live for the gospel and how you need to put off some of those self-destructive patterns. You and I need to hear that on a regular basis. Like, I don't remember all the sermons that I've heard in the words of H.B. Charles, but I don't remember a lot of the meals that I ate either. 
But all I know is that they sustained me. They kept me. They helped me. Somehow God superintended it for me to hear things that nurtured and encouraged my soul. What he's saying is like, like, like some of us just overlook the gathering. I'm going to just be honest with you. Like this is a place where you can hear about the goodness of God and build relationships with people that are going to the same spiritual direction. Like, like your podcasts are great. Your devotionals are fine and all that. Your carefully curated worship list that you have on Spotify after listening to 100,000 hours of music and your Spotify rap, all of that's good. But that is, no, that is no substitute for the corporate gathering because all of those things are typically based on your preferences. You pick your favorite preacher. You pick the message that you think is going to resonate with you. You pick the songs that you like. You pick the, the devotional that you think is most resonate. But what if your preferences that you have are not in line with God's desires for your life? I'm saying it's worth an investigative journey. I'm saying we pick the preachers that we like, but oftentimes they don't tackle the subjects that we need to most. Like, it's only, like, we preach the sermon series on purpose so I can talk about, but it's only so many purpose series that you need. It's only many purpose and destiny and where you're headed and closed door sermons that you need. Some of us need to hear sermons that it's just time for you to mature and grow up in Jesus. It's just time for you to grow up. It's just time for you to put off malice and envy and debate and strife. This is for my Christians. Shout out to us. Just for my unbeliever friends. I'm, I'm, I'm nice. I just... You know, I'm just trying to help my people out a little bit so they can treat you better, right? Right? We, we want them to treat you better. We don't want to have a bad mark. A lot of the problems that many people who don't know Jesus have had in the church is because immature Christians have harmed them. That's what it is. It was some nasty usher that said something to you. It was some, it was some person that said, it was my seat and you can't get there. If, if we help rid the church of spiritual immaturity, it's going to absolutely revolutionize how we engage in the world and actually have a great reputation among people. Preach, Ernest Grant. That's what I'm just trying to say to somebody. All, all those little cute messages are good. Shout out to them. And we got a purpose series, right? It's called, What Was I Created For? But some of us just need some raw gospel. We just need to hear about how God can change your life, how I'm a sinner, but God has changed me. And now I'm walking in this new life. Let me go on. I don't want to get on the hobby horse there. Let me go on. And then, so this is what he says next. And I think this is the most poignant statement in all the Bible or one of, the, one of them. He says in verse five, why are you so dejected, my soul? I love this. Um, in the first service, some of the lights went out in the back. I don't know if you noticed that. We, we just made it on through. <laughs> a few weeks ago, the sound system was, was messed up. We didn't know what we were going to do. I was going to take all the seats in here, and I was just going to put them in a circle, and we were going to do some hand stomping and foot, uh, foot, foot stomping and hand clapping. We were just going to figure it out. We were just going to figure it out, right? But what we had to do was, in order to get those lights back on, we had to go on an investigative journey. We had to figure out what was causing the problem. We learned that it was a circuit breaker in the back. Once we addressed the circuit breaker in the back, we were able to get these lights on in full blaze. And what I'm saying is, is that some of us want to live an emotionally healthy life. But in order to do that, you have to go and check the circuit breaker of your life to figure out where the problem lies. So what David is saying is that I haven't always been depressed. I haven't always been sad. I haven't always been despondent and dejected. What is causing me to feel the way I'm feeling? 
And I would just solicit to you today that one of the most important things that you can do on your, emotionally, your, your journey for emotional health is you have to investigate what's causing the problem because it's just not popping up out of anywhere. Amen, somebody. And so he says, so let's talk about some of these causes here. We're going to walk, we're going to walk through these a little bit because they're important. <coughs> then I'm going to get back to preaching, but I need to lecture real quick. Let me be Dr. Ernest Grant for a second, okay? Is that cool? Is that okay? Cool. Here we go. So there are several factors that could be potentially causing you to experience depression, whether situational, right, right, or whether a situational or chronic. Here, here they are. Emotional triggers, social factors, and biological forces. Can we say those? Emotional triggers, social factors, biological forces. <laughs> so emotion, let's talk about emotionally, emotional uh, triggers. Thank you, babe. You see me struggling up here? Oh, thank you. Thank you. So sweet. Let me just... Thank you so sweet. You look good, girl. You look good. My wife, my wife looks, she looks amazing. I know you can't technically agree with that because it's weird, but it is, it is weird. Well, women, women can do that. Men can't, right? It's weird. Like, yeah, brother, you have an amazing looking wife. It's like, it's a little weird, brother, but. Please, yeah, I, no, 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 we're not going to go down this rabbit trail. I've got a lot of stuff. Like, I can't stand when people are like, oh, man, when they, like, brag about their smoking hot wife online. It's like, bro, I can't, I can't agree with that. Nobody wants to look at your wife in that regard. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, anyway, let's go back. What were we talking about here? What were we talking about? My new people are like, I'm not coming back here. I, I am not coming back to this church. I don't know what they got going on here. All right, so, <laughs> so welcome back. Um, my name is Pastor Ernest Grant, <laughs> lead pastor of Accelerate Church. Okay, so oh, well, I'm Dr. Ernest right now because we're lecturing. We're lecturing. Okay, okay. And so there are three factors that lead you to your emotionally unhealth, emotional unhealth. One is emotional triggers, social factors, biological forces. So, um, so one of the emotional triggers is perhaps you're experiencing a sense of anxiety or depression because you're, you're mourning the loss of somebody. Right. I know that the holidays really spur on this sense of loneliness and anxiety. Maybe it's because you have like I would I think some psychologists describe it as ambiguous guilt, uh, ambiguous grief because of all the stuff that's associated with the pandemic. Like you grieve the lifestyle that you used to have and that caused the problem. Maybe it's a relationship that didn't materialize. Perhaps it's an entrepreneurial venture that didn't work out. You thought you would have your degree by now. You thought you'd have a relationship by now and a myriad of other things, right? Those are emotional triggers. And then we have what I would describe as like social or biological forces, right? So when you talk about depression and anxiety, you must realize that doctors, scientists, and psychologists, as well as neurologists, agree that depression is rarely the result of a single factor. Instead, it's a number of factors that could cause this. Genetic tendencies, stressful circumstances, medications. And so um, to change or disrupt any of those areas can cause a domino effect that topples us into depression. And the whole idea of this chemical imbalance thing, well, most doctors agree that that's too simplistic of a definition. Because in the words of one Harvard researcher, there are millions and billions of chemicals, chemical reactions that happen that are responsible for your mood and perception. Like, and if you change one of these, it can be a chain reaction in our body. So it's not as simple as regulating our serotonin or dopamine. Are y'all hearing me today, church? 
And so what, he's trying to, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that there are several factors that could be leading you to experience depression. And I would say, I'm not, it's not on my nose, but one of them, it could be ungrieved griefs. Like, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you have this, but in my ethnic persuasion, we have this thing called a junk drawer. Uh, can I say that? <clears throat> we have that and we have something else uh, called a bunch of plastic bags inside a plastic bag under the sink. It's always under the sink. Because you never know when you're going to need a trash bag. Amen. Let me, let me just tell the truth. That's the text. I'm glad you're laughing. Because that is analogous of what happens in many of our souls. We have a bunch of grief, sadness, daddy issues from previous years, mommy issues because she told she shamed you into being perfect and it didn't work. You got mommy issues, daddy issues, perfection issues. And rather than dealing and addressing those griefs, we pulled out the junk drawer of our lives, stuffed it in and put it in there. That's what's happening. And so the root of our depression oftentimes is that God wants us to have the courage to name, identify, process, and deal with those bottled up emotions that many of us overlook on a regular basis. That could be a source of depression. And let me just encourage you, if, if, if again, it's nothing wrong if you're dealing with a, a bunch of, if you're dealing with emotional health stuff right now, listen, this is the church for you. We want to care for you, I promise you. But I want to encourage you not to do three things. Number one, don't self-medicate. <laughs> don't self-medicate. The high from weed, the buzz from alcohol, the, 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 the chemical boost from sex is all going to wear away. And when it does, it will leave you in a worse state than when you began. It really will. Those unhealthy coping mechanisms will continue to lead you down a rabbit trail of depression. Also, stop trying to diagnose yourself. Sure, it's good to identify stuff, but, but WebMD is not your friend all the time. It's not your friend. And another thing I will, I'll say is, please don't in the name of Jesus it away. You wouldn't in the name of Jesus. If you broke your leg, you wouldn't in the name of Jesus that away. You would get a splint and get your tibia and fibula worked out. Amen? So I'm saying that, that, that as you go through this, Make sure these are some things that you're not going like, like it's important to take care of your emotional well-being under the supervision of a therapist, doctor, and a myriad of other things. And typically there's like stigma about this in Christ church, but there shouldn't be because we're all struggling with something. It just so happens that others of us are struggling with mental health. Let me just tell you, it's okay to have Jesus, a therapist, as well as the properly prescribed medication to make sure that you're on point. Maybe, it, maybe it's a medically treated thing, but can I present another perspective here? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not a disease, but it's a symptom. Maybe it's a symptom that something is wrong in your life and in your relationship with God. So he sends you a healthy God-fabricated emotion to let you know that if you keep going, what you're doing is going to destroy your life. Right. It is really, really good to feel depressed when you've been when you've been sleeping with your boyfriend or girlfriend. It's good to feel guilty about that because it's a warning sign of God letting you know you don't have a ring yet. You ain't married yet. A fiance does not justify you just having unelicited sex because you're going to get married in a few months. 
Your body was made for worship to God. It wasn't made for you to satisfy all of your pleasure and desires outside the covenant. Some of us are taking our Ferrari, which is called sex, and we're taking it off the, and we're taking it off road. And that's why our lives are all bumpy. But God is like, if you get on the highway, I'm going to put you on a spiritual autobahn so that when you have sex, you can have the, the best, greatest situation of your life. Because you do it now. Oh, let me not. We're going to talk more about this in our love, sex, and dating series when we go through. What what I'm saying is, sex has a context, and the context is in the marital bedroom. And when it's not done in the marital bedroom, I want you to know that God is right there looking at you like, that's what you're going to do, huh? Okay, let me just... Let me just go. Let me just go. Let me go ahead. Let me go ahead. I don't want people getting upset with me. And so on the other hand, maybe it's not a disease, but it's a symptom. And so when David asks, why are you so downcast, my soul? He's trying to say, yo, I haven't always been like this. I haven't always been sad. And so let me give you two practical tools on how to deal with this. Is that all right? How much time I got? Because, you know, I'll be up here long. Okay. Okay. All right. Let me just let me just roll. All right. Here we go. I was going to skip this illustration here. All right. Let me let me tell you one of the areas that causes depression the most in the life of Christians in particular, and it is habitual unconfessed sin. Habitual unconfessed sin. Like like David is yeah he's one of the most beloved figures in the world, but David did some real trifling stuff. Let's just be honest about it. Dave raped Bathsheba because there was a difference in the power dynamic. If this happened today, it'd be like a corporate somebody taking advantage of Bathsheba. That's number one. On top of that, he tried to cover it up, and he got Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, murdered. And that's why it says in the, in the genealogy, Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, because you think you're outrunning your sin, but the Holy Ghost always knows how to bring it up at the right time. And so what happens is he sleeps with Bathsheba and all that, and eventually he talks to God about it, but there is a period in which he didn't confess his sin. And he talks about that in Psalm 32. Look what he says. He talks about how he did not tell God or wasn't honest about what he was experiencing. He said, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Get this. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. Get this. Your strength was sapped as in the heat of the summer. Now, this is a lurid, lurid language, right? He's saying my bones wasted away. And it's interesting that he says this or uses this phraseology because one of the telltale signs of depression is manifested in achy bones. And then he says, my strength was sapped. One of the telltale signs of somebody that's experiencing depression is they simply do not have the energy to do things. And so sometimes a symptom of depression could be you're not being honest with God about the skeletons in your closet. Like, I'm just going to be honest. Like, like, some, like one of the things we want to help people know, do here is we want you to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. One of the ways that you know God is in the context of local gathering where we share the gospel and people who are far away from God meet them. You, you, you find freedom when you do life and relationships with people that are going in the same spiritual direction. You make a difference when you go through our open house and we help you figure out your unique design so that you can walk in your God-given purpose. And you make a difference when you're on our dream team and you're making a difference both outside of these walls and inside of these walls. But one of the big things we want you to do is find freedom. But you cannot find freedom if you're intent on concealing the truth. Jesus says it like this. He says, the truth shall set you free. But a lie will keep you in bondage. And my fear is that 
Some of us have just so many things going on in our life that we just haven't dealt with. God does not want you to hold on to your guilt and shame. He wants you to live with him in a life of transparency, honesty, and vulnerability. God is like, stop hiding that stuff from me or not being willing to talk to me about it because I know about it anyway. When are we going to deal with all these issues? When are we going to deal with that stuff that happened in your childhood? When are we going to deal with, with your desire, your, your pride, which is just a cover for your insecurity? When are we going to deal with that? So I'm saying that God wants us to live with a life of transparency. Like, have you ever been to the beach before? And you take that beach ball and you try to put it under the water? You, it, it works for a little bit, right? But eventually, that beach ball is going to come up. And some of us are spending all of our time trying to conceal the truth, but I'm here to let you know eventually it's going to come up. Eventually it's going to manifest itself, but sometimes it manifests itself in unhealthy patterns and behaviors. So David goes on here. David goes on here. And, and, and what I want you to know about concealing the truth is, is if you're in Christ, it's really doing a lot of violence to your soul. It's doing a lot of violence to your soul. And at that point, that's when this whole, you stop feeling God's presence and you stop feeling the Spirit's conviction. That's when the Bible begins to be a book of information and not transformation. You start reading for information, but you're not reading for relationship. When you're reading that Bible, the intent is not to just learn about all these ancient things that happen. You're asking God to take his inspired word, to lift it up and give you a rhema word, which is an alive word, to deal with your situation in the present. But when you're too intent on concealing truth, what happens is, is the, the word of God becomes tasteless. Prayer becomes mundane and unnecessary. What I'm trying to say is these are all the ramifications of hidden sin. God is like, I want you to confess it to me. I want you to be honest about it in prayer. I want you to tell me about it. I want you to lift your voice about it. And then after you tell me about it, he has a buddy named James, Jesus' bold big brother, little brother. And he says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Because some of us have no problem telling God about what we've done wrong, but we deeply struggle telling other people what we've done wrong because of trust issues. Because we don't believe that we can tell people our deep secrets and they still love us or look at us the same. But what I think James is trying to communicate is that you experience healing and freedom in a way because God shows up in this. And I'm finished up on this. This is my last point. You got to preach the gospel to yourself. Got to preach the gospel to yourself. Verse five, he says, soul, put your hope in God. In other words, sometime you can be the worst counselor you have. But other times, you can be the best counselor you have. And what David is saying is that I preach the gospel to myself. I tell myself about the beauty of Christ. You just don't need the gospel of Jesus, which is this good news that he came to deliver you from sin, hell, death, and all the things that mess us up. You just don't need that for evangelism. You need that to edify yourself, to be reminded that God is with you, to be reminded that he cares about your struggle with emotional health. To let you know that he's with you in your pain. Jay, you can play. He's with you in your pain. He's with you in your struggle. He cares about what you are experiencing. The gospel is just not for people out there. It's for us in here. That's what we need. So I just want to encourage us today. I'm finished up. That's it. But it's just what I want to encourage us to do. There was a lot said right there. So let's just take a moment of reflection. Let's take a moment of reflection. And let's take a moment to respond. To what was just said and so what I want you to do is I want you to take a deep breath 
want you to take a deep breath. And I want you to ask this question. God, what are you saying? And God, what do you want me to do about it? What are you saying? What do you want me to do about it? And so maybe...